Hello and welcome to the Lifefulness Podcast. How are you doing today, Lifefulness listener? Dearly loved, uh, not yet departed. Please don't depart soon. Uh, We are super excited to go and bring you this conversation with the uh, amazing Gillian Richardson. And I was just thinking, I can't say it's one of my favourite conversations because I say that the whole time. And if everyone's your favourite... How can it be a favourite? But maybe we live in a world where you can, you know, love multiple things in a a way which doesn't mean that like one has to be the top and one has to be the bottom. Maybe she's my favourite for right now. Maybe she's my one and only for one night only. Maybe that's a weird turn of phrase to use about a woman in this climate. Would have been different if I'd used it about one of my male guests. Let's find out. Uh, But Gillian is a... Uh, she's an author, she is a doer, I would say, and she is someone who is really at the forefront of what community means for millennials, Uh, and probably that includes some Zoomers too, and tell you the truth, if you're a non-millennial, you're probably caught up in this as well, because she's really at the forefront of thinking about how can you build community and how can you make friends in the world that we're in, which is not really designed for that sort of connection where our work seems to be driving us apart from each other. Oh, and I forgot to mention, there's a small, there's an illness, there's a little cough, it's like a cough. It's like a COVID, uh, which is going around as well, which is keeping us in our homes. Uh, we, I might be the first time person to mention it, have you noticed that people seem to be on their phones too much? Uh, yes, yeah, so we've got our digital friends, which might be a replacement for our real life friends. And so the place this conversation went was, how can you make friends as an adult? And she's a brilliant person to talk about this because she has been running this newsletter for many years now, which uh, has got this really simple, clear uh, sort of offer. And it is... Uh, events. She goes and pulls together these events from across New York and then due to the pandemic from across the world because you can join virtually Uh, and and it's events where you can turn up alone but you can leave with a friend and so that is the thing that we spoke about. How can you make friends as an adult? Something which I I always feel embarrassed to say it but I moved to a new part of London and yeah it's hard to make friends and so it's Uh, This conversation inspired me. I even went and asked for the number uh, of some people who I met, which sort of sounds like nothing, but uh, the whole point uh, of our conversation or one point of it was that, you know, it can sometimes feel a little bit vulnerable when you say, oh, can I be your friend? Uh, So I am really pleased to give you this convo. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you like these sorts of conversations and if you want to go and make some new friends and new connections yourself, then we have the Lifefulness Podcast and you can find details below. And I should have said it's the Lifefulness Podcast community where we meet up online to discuss the podcast and you can find details below. So there we have it. I'm going to get out of the way and I am going to give you the amazing, wonderful and fantastic author, facilitator, and community builder, Gillian Richardson. Today is my book's second birthday. It's it's a big day for my baby. So I just wanted to to let you both know. 
Uh, well, look, we're just going to start the uh, podcast right there. That's what people are going to come <laughs> in for. Happy birthday, your book, Gillian Richardson, The Unlonely Planet. Uh, two years uh, since you, is that since you published it or since you mm -hmm. finished it, since you published it? Yes. You asked on Twitter recently for pictures of people reading your book. And I've got one somewhere on my phone of my son <gasps> when he's about one holding it. Stop. Yeah. Oh my so, I have not seen that picture before, right? No, yeah, I haven't. No, no, no. I kept it to myself so I can uh dangle it in front of you to see what I can get in exchange. Because <laughs> that's exactly the sort of person I am. Uh, and uh welcome to the pod, Jillian. How is today for you? Today is beautiful. I I this morning I was going to go to a co-working space with some friends for the first time, like since the pandemic. And I went down to the subway and it was my first time taking the subway during rush hour and the doors opened and it was so packed and it was so hot in the subway that I literally just turned around and went home. Oh gosh. I was like, not today. No, I'm not ready for that. It's the world continues to be more complicated than we thought it would be at this point. Because mm -hmm. like, if you go and think about that, like, if you were to draw down, oh, how can I get as many people to get COVID at once? I know what I'd do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd invent something which looked exactly like the New York subway, just jam them in very close. So everything is touching, just really yeah. all, we're just a big touch zone. Uh, <laughs> so you you did it, you work from home. And I work from home. And how would you describe your job? Because you, you're another one who's got a weird, you're a weird floating, uh, floating person between many different yes. things that you do. Yes, and I feel like, especially post-pandemic, like it feels very annoying to me going to parties and people saying, oh, so what do you do? Because usually I'm used to having a pretty succinct answer. And now I just kind of say, I'm figuring it out which people don't like that answer. I think mm. it makes people uncomfortable. That, that would really throw people. It's a bit like, I just wanted some information and now you've made me ask for a story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, well, look, we're gonna get into all the stuff that you do. Uh, our first question we always ask people is, what was the religious or spiritual or philosophical background to your childhood? Ooh, okay. So I grew up, going to a congregational church. Uh, my mom grew up in Ireland and my dad grew up in the South. So they both had pretty intense religious upbringings mm. Like religion was a part of their childhoods in a way that felt constricting to both of them. So they didn't want that for me and my sister. They wanted something that felt more relaxed. And so we went to a congregational church in a town, one town over in Connecticut. And the, the weird thing was that the church was lovely. The, the ministers were, they were married. We had a female minister. They were technically an open and affirming church. Uh, meaning Trans they accepted translation. the queer community. They accept okay, the queer very community. Good. Uh, and yeah, I realized most people have no idea what that means. <laughs> but because it was a town over from where I lived, it was all of these kids who went to school together and mm. then me who didn't go to school mm. with them. So I hated going to church because I was always the odd person out and just didn't really feel like I fit in there. 
Mm. which you you'll see will be a theme in everything i, I was gonna say and now you've written all about loneliness mm. oh, <laughs> totally i feel like any section of the the pie of my childhood then you'll hear like and i felt like i didn't belong but so i actually ended up mostly going to a church in my own hometown and going mm. to youth group there hanging out with those kids still congregational I honestly still don't really know what congregational means to be totally real. I don't know either. You were saying that. And to my mind, putting the word congregation in front of the church seems mm -hmm. a bit redundant. Uh, so what, what, what do you think it means? I'm pretty sure, and I might get this wrong. I think it's a branch of Protestantism, oh. question mark. Okay. <laughs> I was not paying that much attention, clearly. So would you say that it's you saw like, like some aspects which were positive in the idea of congregation and the idea of bringing people together. And it wasn't one of those places that you rejected out of hand, but it also wasn't the sort of wellspring. Yeah, I found it to be just pretty neutral. I found, mm. and actually this is the first time I'm kind of putting this together, saying this out loud, but the things I like most about the churches I was in growing up were kind of the the not church elements or the kind of community center elements, like the, the youth group, we would do volunteering work together and we would have conversations about like sexual health and it was really progressive. And the church I currently belong to, same thing. I love the church for everything outside of the services, like all of the mm. community service it does and all the artists that they host there and performers they host there. And I really just think that church is best when it's really a community center. Mm. I mean, we've like, you're not going to find uh, too many people here who uh, disagree with you. I mean, obviously you want the, well, so you don't find that the event is great or you don't find that the sort of dogma and religious side of it is the thing which interests you. It, I grapple with this. At, so at my or is your Jensen, pastor just super boring? <laughs> no, not anymore. Uh, <laughs> what, what have they changed? Have they did they do a course? <laughs> well, so the pastor growing up, I was just okay, a kid okay. and was like not paying any attention to what anyone was saying who was an adult. So I don't remember them saying anything bad. Like I didn't feel shame about myself or my sexuality or being a woman or anything. Like so many people got from going to church growing up. Uh, and now I only joined my church a month before COVID happened. So mm. I have only been to a handful of services and I love the services at my church. Mm. I just haven't been able to go to them in person for a year and a half ish. Right. Uh, what a fascinating background because I, in your work, your subtitle is your book is uh, of the unlonely planet is mm -hmm. something like creating finding your congregation yes. in the city or something like that mm -hmm. and it is this uh tale of how you know how people can find community how you found community and it'd be great if you could just you know tell us how that how it came to be and mm -hmm. uh, you know what was the motivation uh for you doing it what was the story behind it well kind of like i mentioned before the core wound of my childhood slash my life is this feeling of just like I don't fit in and like a lot of people I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional family where my emotions weren't safe to express mm. and there was just a lot of 
addiction and mental health issues. And so I kind of didn't have that foundation of safety or belonging that a lot of people or some people have. And that kind of just throughout my life led to me looking for places to see, like, is this the place that feels like home? And I just kind of was looking in the wrong places where I had a good group of girlfriends growing up, which I'm really grateful for. And I still talk to them now as an adult, which I understand is pretty rare. So even just that I'm really grateful for, but I didn't have kind of like the thing that a lot of people get from church, which is mentorship and elders in your life and people who are spiritually guiding you, helping you kind of find something bigger than yourself in life. And Mm. when I moved to New York, actually, Sanderson, I did a lot of comedy growing up. Mm. So my people in college were the sketch and improv kids. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what, uh, like, were you still doing that in New York? Did you go to UCB and other, because those places do (laughs) provide uh, lots of those uh, sort of human uh, sort of human needs, don't they? They're what, like community. UCB. Ah, uh, UCB. They're very strong. Only have half and see how it turns out. Uh, no, sorry, that is a two CB. Uh, the mm-hmm. UCB is the uh, Underground Citizens Brigade or something. Upright like? Citizens Brigade. Upright Citizens Brigade. You just it, lost some comedy points. Oh no. <laughs> uh, the uh, so and you explain what it is because uh, you have been part of it. Yeah. Oh boy. I'm going to get the founders names wrong. All yeah, I remember. And I'm going to be super judgmental. Yeah, you there just, we go. Now we'll you just listen out, out listeners. <laughs> so what it's, it's Amy Poehler and three dudes who started yeah. this comedy theater in New York city. And it's kind of known as the, like the place to be. So when I moved to New York city, I did like almost all of them and mm. moved to New York. Cause I wanted to be a comedy writer. Actually, that was my original purpose of moving to the city so you were there you felt this need and you ended up sort of starting a a newsletter which in order to connect people to sort of events that they could go to so that that seems to be (laughs) you're like how did this happen yeah there's a gap yeah definitely big gap so the quick version is left college moved to new york and i really just wanted something different. I was like, this is such a rare moment in my life to try something new, meet new types of people. And so I spent a year just going to as many different types of communities as I could. Like I went to festivals by myself. I went to summer camps for adults by myself, uh, just parties by myself. And the thing that kind of opened me up was this thing called Camp Grounded, which Mm. is a digital detox summer camp for adults. So no, first of all, no substances, like no alcohol or drugs, no technology. It's kind of like Burning Man and that you use a Mm. fake name instead of your real name. And it just struck me that when I went for the first time, I had never met adults who seemed that happy in my life. Hmm. Like those Mm. people just seemed so playful and so open and so loving And I just knew like, whatever these people are doing, whatever this space is, I want this type of energy to be my life and started kind of just going to whatever those people went to and wanted to share those spaces with people really after Donald Trump got elected in Mm. 2016, Mm. when 
the energy in New York City was at such a low and there was such a sense in like my liberal bubble of desperation and division and sadness. And in a contradiction in my social world, I felt this sense of hope and connection and positivity. And I was just like, I wish everyone had access to these spaces and could just know that they existed because the hardest part is finding out they exist. And that kind of unlocked this hidden secret that I thought only I had that actually most people around me had of, I want deeper friendships. I want to feel like I belong. I feel lonely. And it just kind of felt like my path in some way. That's so powerful. Uh, I remember very vividly the Sunday morning. We have our, we have a, a version of a church service, basically. I don't, don't know if you've ever been to the Brooklyn Ethical Society, but Sunday mornings, we have our big community gathering with music and someone speaking and a member giving opening words. And I remember so vividly the Sunday after Trump was elected because mm. hundreds of people came. We usually have about 200 people on a Sunday. We had maybe wow. 400 that Sunday. And it was packed. I'd never seen that many people in the building. And I think many people felt this need to be around others who shared their values, who were looking for a different type of connection with other people than the kind of version or story about America that was being told by, by that political tendency. But the thing that's interesting to me about your story is that most of those people never came back again, right? For us, they mm -hmm. came once, they got whatever they needed. I remember you know, I, I was speaking that day. So I was like, okay, let's all have a hug. Let's all have a, like, recognize this moment. And we did that and they seemed to get something valuable out of it, but they didn't come back. It didn't become part of who they were in quite the same sense that you seem to be describing. So what was it that you connected to that became a permanent part of your life? Yeah. First of all, that's incredible that you have 200 people showing up every week. We're pretty good. Regardless. At that's a, like, mm. that's better than most churches. That's awesome. But what I think what kept me going was just, first of all, I think when I started the newsletter, I kind of was saying like, oh, this is about making New York City a less lonely place. And I wasn't thinking mm. about it too much, honestly, like the branding and all that stuff. People are like, who did your branding? Who designed your website? And I'm like, I made it up in a day. <laughs> I'm just really talented losers. I, I do things and they look good. Be like, more like me. <laughs> That's what I said. Exactly yeah. those words. Oh my God. No wonder people don't want to hang out with you. You suck at branding no marks. And this is why I struggle with making friends. This is, this is why you shouldn't I be like mean... me. Don't do that. Uh, so there was like a, I, I didn't think consciously to myself, I want to mm. talk about loneliness every week for years, but it was something I kind of talked about. Cause at the start of every newsletter, kind of like in a sermon, I put a little story from my week, which I did at mm. the start and then kind of just kept doing it. So I've been sending out kind of a lesson from my week every week since 2016, which Side note, super, just a gift to yourself in your life mm. to kind of force yourself to think of a lesson for your week every week. I think it's why pastors probably love doing that as well. It's, it's mm. a great meaning making tool. Uh, yeah, we love it so much. It's like, you <laughs> love it, you love it. It's, it's a super great mm. uh, way to, to feel anchored. Yeah. Um, 
But anyways, I was, I started to get emails from people and people were starting to come up to me at parties kind of saying like, you know, I feel lonely too. Mm. And people who somehow didn't even live in New York city, this one guy, I remember it was kind of the first email I got like this. He said, like, you know, I'm a divorced dad. I have two kids. I feel so lost. And like, I don't know how to connect Mm. with people anymore. Like, I feel like I'm too old to fit in into these scenes. And I don't know people who have kids and I don't know what to do. And it made me realize, first of all, that I was kind of catering my newsletter too much towards people who were exactly like me. Mm. Uh, Like, I'm like, oh yeah, like I'll just white middle upper class folks who like ecstatic dance (laughs) oh you're tired of your normal reiki healer this is reiki (laughs) healer with a gong bath with a shoeless grounding ceremony (laughs) but don't worry it's not too weird it's not too (laughs) weird but also you have to be naked Uh, that's how it goes i did go to one thing at the spanish equivalent of burning man called nowhere which is now no longer connected with burning man because after a while i was like i went to a top thing like a high place you can look out over it uh and uh and i was like and i was a bit confused when i was first went there because i was like oh this is quite weird how this sort of area doesn't really look much like the surrounding countryside but i guess they found this really flat area which looks like burning man burning man in burning man in nevada uh in uh and and then i went up to this mountain looked over it i was like oh they fucking bulldoze it clear (laughs) what (laughs) and then they bulldoze it clear and then when you enter they say Oh, guys, remember, leave no trace. It's like, it's impossible to leave a trace. <laughs> There's no trace. I don't know. You've already no trace for everyone. But uh, the reason I bring that up is there's this workshop and there's all this sort of thing of, you know, of, of all the sorts of progressive workshop guidelines you get on consent and everything else. And this workshop did just start with, yeah, so just, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so this is what we can do. It's really important on consent. It's really, and uh, yeah, just pop your clothes on the side. And I was like, whoa, that was nought to a hundred. <laughs> so fewer workshops where it's implied that you can just pop your network, pop your togs on the side. Totally. And yeah. I, it's something I'm still working on. And of course, it's just like, I have my community of people and I have the lens mm. that I see the world. So there's going to be more stuff that I would want to yes. go to because that's just natural. And I do make a conscious effort, which I think I probably started doing maybe like two years into the newsletter of just stuff that I couldn't go to at all. Just like, okay, Mm. like this is a circle for black fathers or like, this is an open mic night for queer women or Mm. like something like that. Just to say like, this newsletter is for everyone. Mm. And even like when I, when people subscribe to the newsletter, they get an automatic email just to say like, Hey, welcome. If you're open to it, I would love to know how you found this and what's something you're struggling with. Uh, And people will sometimes kind of put really mean or snarky things in there of like, I hope this is, this isn't just stuff for white people. Like a brown guy like me will, will find this helpful. Or it's like, they're putting, or like, oh, I'm like, I'm an old lady. I doubt this is going to be helpful for me. And it just shows how kind of burned people feel by mm. quote unquote community events of like showing up and realizing they're older than like 
90% of the people there or it's mm. a mostly white event. And it's kind of been a gift for me to see that of just how much, how many issues people have had with event curation and event newsletters in the past. And James, is this, when you go and hear about this set of circumstances that people find themselves in, like the, I believe there was someone on our last podcast, which who said that it's like 20% of millennials don't have any friends at all. That Something like right. that, you know, 75% have one. Yeah. What do you see in St. Louis with people sort of coming into your congregation? You know, are there, is it sort of meeting a big loneliness uh, crisis where you are? Yeah, I think that what Julian's saying is just hitting exactly the primary reason why communities like ours actually exist. And it's funny mm. because it's not what I would necessarily have expected when I started this work, because I came into this work because I'm passionate about the big questions of life. Like, why are we here? You know, how should mm. we treat each other? Where are we going? You know, what's the meaning of it all? That's what really gets me up in the morning and I'm really excited about. And so I sort of assumed when I started working in congregational settings that most people came because they also were really excited about those questions. That is not at all why most people come. James joins think, the army of pastors who are disappointed by the parochial interests of their parishioners. They're like, right, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I hate my members. They get, they, they're coming for all the wrong reasons. I think a lot of clergy people actually don't ever come to the realization the, the main reason why people come is to be around other people. It is mm -hmm. really just primarily the connections with other people. And we found this out pretty quick, luckily, because one of the first things I did for the community was lead them in a rebranding effort. And to do a rebranding effort, we surveyed our community and we asked them, why do you come? And overwhelmingly, they told us, we come to make friends, to mm -hmm. make connections with broadly like-minded people. And the other stuff was secondary. In fact, I've just listen to a podcast today my friend casper kyle who really smart yes. person. you know casper mm. is i do not because he lives in new york city he's so attractive he lives in brooklyn right so mm -hmm. so smart so handsome guy I love him. <laughs> and uh, i had a huge crush on him when i first met him and how could you not don't, uh, don't tell anyone this is just between us <laughs> um guys but, it's c-a-s-p-e-r T-E-R-K-U-I-L-E, in case you want to get Googling, Very the name's good. not mm -hmm. sort of self-evident, mm -hmm. but if you want to go and see what uh, launched James's A Thousand Ships, uh, <laughs> that is, what a polite way of describing a crush. Um, so he was speaking on a podcast recently, and he said that one of their frameworks is, I'm going to try and remember it, belonging, becoming, beyond. Mm. And that oh. really fits with what we decided our congregation was trying to do every Sunday, which was we had much worse names for it because I can't come up with good names like that. But we, we talk about connecting with other people or relationships, learning something new and being inspired, right? So connection, learning and inspiration, belonging, becoming beyond. And I thought that the beyond bit was the most important bit, connecting to something bigger than ourselves, which is important, mm. but it's actually the belonging bit that people need the most, mm. particularly mm -hmm. in our society. And I, that's what I'm hearing from what you're saying, Julie. I think that's so true. And I feel like to get to those other things, what you need first is the people who make you believe those things are possible. 
Mm. Like it's so, at least in my experience, it's so hard to feel like I'm a quote unquote, like spiritually connected person, or I'm connected to the divine, or I'm, I'm living my truth. If I have no one around me, who's even thinking about those questions or trying to live in that way. So like, of course, it's going to be harder for me to live that sort of life. And so for you to have that space, I feel like on the one hand, I hear that it's kind of frustrating for people to just say, I'm here because I want to make friends. Like, I don't care so much about mm. thinking about life's big questions. But then of course, like what's going to happen in those friendships? Those are the kinds of people who together are likely going to be considering life's big questions and helping each other step into that way of being. So that kind of feels all very interwoven to me. And James, just because I like to make you feel better, uh, there is a well-known phrase, which is that churches there are there for believing, belonging and behaving. And so don't worry, he's just changed something which already exists. Don't want to oh, take anything away from it. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. And behaving's not very on brand. Yeah. Becoming's a lot better. So mm -hmm. give him credit, but just make sure you manage it. Uh, and <laughs> and what I loved about your book and what you do is that uh, so one of the things that we found at Sunday Assembly and James, you've been speaking at the Ethical Society about you know how do you grow new communities and one of the tricky things is is that if you want to spread more of the change you want to see in the world, if there should be these communities, it's a it's a huge ass because it's complicated to start a new community. But what's really interesting about your work and why I think it's got so many lessons for so many people is that because you started as a person doing the things that you were doing and sort of piecing together your community by looking at what already existed there. And so it then is really applicable. And this is the time I say, so what are some things that people can do to go and make friends when they're adults like you know what uh, what's your your top five top seven top whichever or just <laughs> or just a general roundabout chat yeah i just like unfurl a scroll and i've got like That's 50 it. 50 things these are the answers oh she's got yes. a holding up a flaming scroll amazing <laughs> perfect yeah i brought it just for this podcast very expensive <laughs> uh well, I think before I give any tips, I just want to say how difficult it can feel as an adult mm. to make friends and also just straight up oh, how yeah. difficult it is. Like I'm a 20 something lady. I don't have a spouse or children, which makes it so much more difficult to get out there and make friends. So I just want to acknowledge that first. Oh, mate, this is my job to do this. And I've moved to Leytonstone, which is just the other side of London. I used to live near here and like I'm, we're just like every now and again, my wife looks at each other and goes, we need some friends, yeah. <laughs> really, because in London, your actual mates end up spread across the city by the time you get to 40. And then you have got, you know, various people moving in and moving out and you're not out and about or doing different things. And I'm genuinely contemplating because I also think it'd be quite funny uh, making a video where I say, I need friends. Uh, but, <laughs> oh my God, uh, you would be so successful. Oh, th thanks very much. Uh, the Yeah, so yeah, but it is, it's hard and it's quite embarrassing to say it. Like, you know, well, to, like, to say to someone, oh, we don't have many friends. What, what? you Billy, by the way, it's Billy yeah. No Mates in the UK. In the US, what's the sort of equivalent of, uh, does it like, Marky no friends, Frankie no friends. I've never that... heard that expression oh, before. Oh, you know, oh, Billy no mates. Oh, no. there you go. It's giving it to you. So that's the that's the United States equivalent as well. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like it's really important for people 
maybe like you and like all of us to who seem kind of extroverted and sociable and like it might be easy for us to make friends or people might assume that to say that it's difficult because folks carry so much shame Mm. around not having friends and don't know these statistics that most people don't have one close friend they could call on in an emergency they Mm. think that like me before I was doing all this work that there's just something inherently flawed about them or like they missed the friendship making lesson in school (laughs) they're like how where where did we get that which is why I'm so obsessed with talking about it in the first place. It's like, mm. we need, these are skills that we need to learn. It's not just something that we're naturally good at because it takes time and attention and energy. I have a question about that. Yeah. About the skills required to develop friendships because I'm the sort of person who, I have tons of acquaintances and mm-hmm. I'm very friendly pretty much with everyone that I meet. <laughs> That's very telling I was just much. thinking about an email I sent earlier and You're I was like, like actually one not 100%. Person. But, yeah, pretty but much. most of the time, I'm, I'm an outgoing extroverted person. My work sees mm. me going all over the city, speaking to tons of different groups and people. And I make a mm-hmm. lot of connections. And, you know, I hit the Facebook friends cap many years ago, you know. And, yeah, but actually, of those people, how many of them are really friends and the honest truth is not so many actually Mm -hmm. very few so how do you go about that transitioning something from like a friendly acquaintance to an actual deep friendship that you will support each other yeah the first thing which is much easier said than done is to tell them that to tell them that you would like to spend more time with them which It's so funny to me. I honestly think that talking about friendship feels more vulnerable than talking about romantic relationships because it's so not socially normal to do it. And it is. And I'd say that there's something specific about being a bloke, which is, uh, you know, for all the with all the footnotes around gender and and Mm -hmm. none of and nothing's real. uh, That's uh, the point. But uh, yeah, like I go to my son's football and afterwards I'm just like, is this going to be the time that I pluck up courage to sort of suggest that we go for a coffee? I'm like, no, just another week of no friends for me. Yeah. <laughs> I hear that from people. Cause I used to do uh, like just, or I sometimes do one-off coaching calls with people and stuff. And I will often hear from women who are married. They're like, can you please help my husband? Cause he yeah. literally mm. will not ask someone to go get tacos with him. Like he won't yeah. do it. <laughs> so, oh, get tacos. Should we have sex before or after? Is that what you're asking? <laughs> is that, is that what's happening here? It's so funny you should say that, Sanderson, because I was thinking that in gay world, we have the opposite problem, which is that I suddenly realized that if I if I really said to one of my gay male friends, I'd really like to spend some more time together, you know, as friends, <laughs> they, were, they would immediately assume what I meant actually was let's fuck immediately. <laughs> and that, so I, I popped my clothes off. Oh, no. Yeah, right. You can't win. So, like, uh, it's difficult for everyone to navigate this. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's so difficult. And I find just direct, honest communication is so rare that to most people, unless you're really around it a lot, it sounds so strange. Mm. And someone I really recommend following who he's a close friend of mine, but I started as a fan of his, uh, his name is Sean Galanos. He runs a Instagram account slash company called the love drive. And literally all he does is people send him questions just like this of like, 
how do I tell someone that I want to be their friend, but I don't want to sleep with them. And it's just him <laughs> saying literally exactly that. Like he's just giving people scripts and formats for how to directly mm. and honestly communicate with people in a kind way. And it's been such a gift for me because now I can speak in that way. And because I've heard his content so much, it doesn't come out weird or strained or like I feel awkward because mm. it's just kind of embedded in me. So like James in your situation, just to be like, Hey, uh, I would really love to hang out and spend some more time as friends. And I don't mean as sexy friends. Like I literally mean platonic friends. Mm. Is that, is that something you're up for? Okay. I'm writing this down right now. <laughs> totally. Gonna... But it's it, funny. Cause you li- like, you said pretty much exactly that. And I find that there's this gap between what people are saying in their heads and what they think is okay to say. And I'm like, you pretty much just said that, but it feels so weird to Mm. actually say it. So there we've got it. We've got like asking for, uh, just like saying to people that you're looking for friends, what other Mm -hmm. things have you found uh, helped? Like, well, firstly, what helped, what what are some things which helped you uh, in the quest? One super, I feel like, again, it's, it's easy, but not, or it's simple, but not easy would Mm. be just to literally post on social media. If you have it, like if you have Facebook or Twitter or Instagram Mm. and say, Hey, I live in insert your place here. I'd love to meet more people who are interested in like meditation or yoga or whatever. And afterwards put open brackets, close brackets and not having sex with me. And not having (laughs) sex with me, like in a platonic way, clothes on (laughs) and be like, you know, do you know anyone who would be interested in that? Because folks love to help if you give them a really Mm. direct thing to do. And what's easier than just like at tagging someone on a Facebook post and you feel so good about yourself. And so I used to do stuff like that and still do all the time just say like hey Mm. i'm looking to meet people who like walking in crown heights who who do you know that likes that Mm. i actually did that recently and it did work so yeah i totally i this is gonna shock the listeners but i'm actually (laughs) a huge nerd and (laughs) i really like playing magic the gathering and I decided I needed a play group who was going to come around my house every week to play a particular type of Magic the Gathering. So I just posted on a Facebook Sorry, we group. just need to get a particular type. So you're like, you're actually quite snobby about some people mm-hmm. who play Magic the Gathering. You're like, yeah. oh no, not that type. I just don't What's have the, the particular type for the other okay. types. Anderson. Oh, all right. Okay. Phew. Yeah, it can be quite an investment, some types of Magic the <laughs> Gathering. Mm-hmm. So I posted and I said, look, is there anyone who wants to come around and just make a group? And now we have a group of like four to six people who weekly meet and yeah. play magic. And we've been out to the pub together as well and done other things. And I feel mm. like I made it happen. I'm like, oh, yes. I, I, I'm the, but now though, I have to deal with like the conflicts and the, the, the drama that comes with having people mm. like now mm-hmm. apparently I'm responsible for telling them telling them off and things like that like so yeah. what, that's a bit annoying isn't it well I want to point out one thing of what you just said which is that you wanted like a weekly group and that's another incredible way to really mm. see who's down and available to make deeper friendships is to do something that's scheduled like every week or every other week or every month at this time, we're going to do this thing. 
because whoever signs up for that, especially if you say like, okay, we're going to do this every week for three months and then see if we want to keep doing it. The people who sign up are going to be the kinds of people who are going to probably show up for you and they're down for consistent commitments. And of course, like you said, it can be difficult to suddenly be the leader of that group. Uh, I'm in a group of people we've been meeting every week for over a year now, and we're committed to two years at least with each other. And we have a rotating leadership schedule, but Mm. figuring out how to do that has been like a whole process. And the guy who started it has just innately more responsibility because he started it. It's his baby. And so there is, there's pros and cons of it for sure. Well, I think that actually gets to something deeper, which is we don't want the bullshit as well. Like we're, we're just like, what I would really love is friends who are just around the whole time, but like sort of can help me out when I need something, but sort of has kind of sorted themselves and mm-hmm. they will ring me up and they'll be doing fun things. I can check in when I want to, but check out when I want to. And in fact, mm-hmm. friendship is also a responsibility. It took me it took me quite a long time to learn that because I, I think for a long time I saw like friendship as sort of mutually sort of agreed sort of dopamine release uh, of like, oh yeah, we're just going to go and laugh and have fun da, 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 da. and then no, it's a, you know, it's an activity, isn't it? Particularly when friendship is so friable, so rare. Like, you know, do you want to put yourself into a place where it could lose it? And then it's going to be lots of pressures associated with it. What sort of things have you seen which have helped people sort of deal with the complications of friendship? I'm going to keep returning back to religion, which is so funny because I wrote my book to be about community outside of organized religion. I had no interest in religion whatsoever. And then spending all of this time thinking about why church works for people actually got me more interested in church. Mate, this is exactly the right podcast because we're all about how you can learn from church Mm -hmm. so that you can have a, uh, so that you can have a a good life because guess what? Church is that shape and that Mm -hmm. structure because it fits around people's lives. I yeah. never know when I say it on this podcast, but I'll say it again. Hats are the same shape the world over because they fit people's heads and churches are the same shape because they fit human lives. And Ooh. what a nice Ooh. homey way to, have I not yet said that to you, James? You probably uh, have, but I don't think I was listening. That was amazing. I know. <laughs> it's really pretty, amazing. It's pretty good, isn't it? It's just one of those classic preach. If I could make it rhyme, that's when you're like, I don't know what he said, but it rhymes. So it's probably true. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and this is exactly why we do this is because that is a really it's an evolved uh, it's an evolved institution. Like mm-hmm. it wouldn't be like if if congregations if congregations involve someone you walk through the door and then you get smashed in the head hard really like ten times in a row <laughs> and then your sister gets killed. Guess what? Like they wouldn't be in every town in the world. Uh, uh, yeah, James sorry, looks like he's James, gonna die. Because something just came to me, and Julian, I'm really hoping that you can answer this question. So I think we all agree, Sanson agrees, I agree, you agree, that many people are lonely. We want more friends and deep connections. It would be great to have community venues which enable people to come together and find mutual areas of interest so that they can develop those connections. And at the same time, we live in a culture where less and less people are going to church 
or attending any sort of civic institution whatsoever. I mean, the studies are incredibly conclusive that people are disengaging Mm. broadly from all sorts of communal activities. How can those two things be true at the same time? What, why are we all lonely, but not doing the things that would make us less lonely? Wait, those two things seem very obviously. <laughs> but, but what, like if the, if the solution is so clear, right? I have to find that so many people were totally burned yeah, by I, religion. Like, I think it's clear why they don't want to go to church. And my timeline is, sorry for interrupting it. My timeline is full of all these like progressive Christians going, God, I wonder why people don't want to go to church. Maybe we should change the color of the cushions. It's like, they don't like, believe huh? in God. And it's you can't really and if you try to redefine god as like whatever you think of as nice mm-hmm. it's still they're still not going to believe it and so yeah but we that question we have is when is so vital like why when there is a, a solution which is you know getting out and meet meeting people and putting themselves out there why uh, why do we find it so hard to do that and i know we've gone on to some of that already well i think What's been true for me that I imagine is true for a lot of people is, first of all, just this fear of committing to something like living Mm. in New York City. The idea of even just this group where we are like, okay, we're going to get together every week for a year. How rare that could be. (laughs) The idea of getting together and being like every Wednesday from seven to nine, including an hour of commuting there and back. For a year, that's what we're doing in a city where we could be doing eight bazillion million other things. It really is a commitment and thinking about how rare it is in life to kind of socially be forced to make that sort of commitment. And like, for example, like sports is an incredible way to get people Mm. to feel connected to each other. And I am not a sporty person. I am really not coordinated. And I used to make fun of sports a lot, to be totally honest, uh, just because I didn't understand them. Oh, God, are you one of those people who like goes on Twitter and goes, oh, what happens in the sports ball, guys? Was it two two goal (laughs) points to the uh, inappropriately named team? Oh, I'm completely those people. You guys. I'm like, used to be that person. <laughs> what we I... did to you at high school was merited. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, we made fun of you for good reason. You're right. Uh, I, I somehow was a speaker at a conference about sports because they had a panel of young people who were like creating communities. And so it was like mm. a room filled with people who were obsessed with sports. And then me who felt like they were gonna find out any second that I didn't like sports. <laughs> But I was so moved because I just heard a whole day of people talking about how sports create community and connection Mm. and especially one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful way to create bridges across lines of division. Mm. And I was just like, wow, I'm such a snob. Like how, (laughs) how can I make fun of this thing that is so it's just, it's a socially acceptable way, especially for men to regularly connect with each other go out afterwards, have a drink. Like, why would I want to poop on that? No good. You're so right about that. And I feel like I've had a similar transition in my attitude towards sports. Uh, I kind of wish that I hadn't gone to a school where 
all the sports teachers pretty much were so terrible that they basically decided whether you were worth giving a shit about or not right mm. at the start. Mm-hmm. And, and if you weren't, yeah. they didn't care about you. I literally had a sports teacher who separated us into three groups of super competitive kids who really played hardcore. The not super competitive kids who who played more at a relaxed level and the kids who sat on the grass and didn't play at all. And yeah. I was in the sitting on the grass <laughs> thing. And I do Damn. wish that I'd had some sporting experience, but... Mm. I've been watching the Olympics because I freaking love the Olympics. The camaraderie and the sense of passionate engagement with these other people. I, I found myself, you know, watching the divers hug each other. And yeah, okay, it's Tom Daly. So that might be part of it. But I was like, <laughs> I want that in my life. You know, I want some of mm-hmm. that feeling of passionate engagement with someone else. That feeling that we're both engaged in something really important that we care about and that we care about each other that felt that looked like it felt really good particularly mm-hmm. with tom daly yes t t o m d l d a l e y bloody not uh with a six pack like that uh, and uh yeah i on the sports side i think that there is a changed attitude in sports as well because so much of it was you look back, I've, I look back at the sports teams, I was, you know, pretty big from an early age. So, and so sport came relatively easy to me. And yeah, like, I think there's a lot of people who are treated very badly, but there is a, also they provide so much to men. I sometimes wish that there, I sometimes think they'd be great to do like lifefulness for sports teams of like, how can you go and turn, you're already doing so much but how can you go and look at what you're sort of doing accidentally or what you're doing sort of, but not labeling it and go and do it more. I love that Dolly uh, part and quote, find out what you do and then do it on purpose or find out who you are and do it on purpose. It's just so great if I could remember it, but it's kind of the gist. And there was a sports podcast, which I absolutely love called the Socially Distant Sports Pod. I listen almost exclusively to sports podcasts. And this guy talks about how it's like with these sports teams, you go to a new town, it's particularly some like rugby, for instance, you would go to go to a new town, join a rugby team, you've got mates. Mm -hmm. And, And there's not I don't think there's that many places where blokes can do that. And it's socially acceptable to show your emotions in a sports context. It's socially acceptable to show your emotions, to tr- be forced to drink pints, which are full of all the sort of leftover alcohol and dog food and just other really fun, inclusive behaviors, which makes mm-hmm. sports club a welcoming place for everyone. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. But that's uh, actually a really good segue into a question about the challenges of creating intense bonds between people which are in in environments which are are still inclusive i think that's something that we really struggle with in our congregation because i find like the most intense deep connections are often actually built around either fairly narrow interests or a real commitment to something that is actually quite exclusive in the sense that the people who are not that deep into it they're never going to be part of the inner circle of it And so, but if you try and be something for everyone, Mm. a community that everyone can join, then actually there's nothing to it. And people don't Mm. really care about it enough to want to be part of it at all. And I wonder how you see that being managed. Well, I feel like there's kind of two types of gatherings or 
I think there's some things where it's totally fine to have it be pretty much for everyone because you're not trying to be that deep. Like I, I used to run an event called the Joylist Social, which was literally just an event for people to make friends in New York City because there are so few events where the, the key intention is literally everyone who is here wants to be friends with other people mm. and it helps reduce social anxiety. And that was the, the bar was just, if you want to make friends, this is for you. And that is such a wide swath of people. But if I said, okay, well, we're going to all show up every week for a year, people probably wouldn't do that because it's not, mm. there's not that deep of a connection. So I think there's those gatherings, like your parties and your one-off things that are lovely, but you're not going to go deeper. And then Priya Parker, who wrote The Art of Gathering, always argues for kind of excluding people in some ways. She doesn't phrase it like that, but essentially you, you've got to keep some people at the door so that other people feel safe. And so an example I like to give is if you wanted to have a dinner party for CEOs and mm. you you notice that these dinners, people always feel stiff and like they kind of got their business mask on and you want it to feel more open and silly. You're like, all right, uh, if you come to this dinner party, you have to be willing to wear footy pajamas. Mm. And then that's your, that's your barrier to entry. Only a very specific type of CEO now is going to show up, but they're probably going to be like, oh, thank God. I finally found other executives that are willing to not be so self-serious and they're willing to be silly and they're going to feel safer. And I feel like that just kind of applies to all those situations where, yeah, you're going to exclude people, but it's kind of necessary. Mm. Thank I you. guess there are some, and there's some other models for it in the, mm -hmm. we are drawing to an end uh, of our time in life in many ways, <gasps> uh, but uh, oh it's, I mean, we always are, James. Uh, and I'm just going to say, I had an absolute blast with you. This conversation was fascinating. You're great, Gillian. I have uh, stalked you from afar, uh, and <laughs> it has been delightful to uh, meet with you like this. James, it's your opportunity to say nice things to our guests. You don't have I to. <laughs> super enjoyed that conversation. I will admit, though, I have not stalked you from afar, but now I do follow you back on Twitter, <laughs> so I'll begin Great. today. Yeah, there <laughs> we go. And so uh, where can people find more JR? Yeah, I'm that Jillian on everything. Thatjillian.com, thatjillian on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and if you want to find the joy list, just Google the joy list and you will find us. Okay, well, that is great. Thanks so much. You're amazing. Let's do some cool stuff together at some time. Yes. Who knows what? All right, then. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye. Bye. How was that for a podcast? I forgot to say that one of the things that I totally loved about it was how funny she is. It was really good just to be able to knock things around and to be able to deal with the seriousness of it but then also just to have a laugh and uh yeah that uh, i think i mentioned that to james that that's really important to do and often in this line of work where we're talking about serious things we can feel that when we're sort of doing it in public forums we've got to go and bring a sort of more serious face uh with us but you know what 
people like people prefer it if things are fun what a revolutionary concept people prefer it if things are fun and that was a super fun conversation now uh, i am what's going on in the lifefulness world got back from wilderness and i'm now really looking at how to go and do more sort of live events uh, and how to go and do more sort of public speaking training and all of those things speaking of festivals and conferences because it's something that I love doing and it is also something which is important. I think often I go and look at the stuff which I really love and sort of deride it uh, and uh, sort of think that it's a bit slight but you know we all need to gather and you know what I do is help people gather well. So uh, that's the big thing that I'm looking at. I'm going to leave you i'm gonna love you even when i've left you i'm gonna keep on loving you and uh just wish you the most wonderful of weeks weekends week middles week beginnings week arches uh, and every other type of week that there can be uh so uh ciao ciao goodbye thanks to james thanks to jillian thanks to the amazing producer we have mav shetty thanks to our wonderful contributor with his music and that is Roman Rapak and Miroshot who brought the tunes that you're listening to right now.